Hey everyone, Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast. Thank you for joining me this week. Um, Got to start this one actually by uh, sharing some unfortunate news. Obviously you guys know what's going on in the US and um, I just wanted to put it out there um, that, you know, I'm sharing my condemnation for racism in wake of these sad events that are ongoing over there in the US at the moment. Um, I stand in solidarity with the black community and, you know, in fact, people from all walks of life, you know, we should all be standing together in times like this, um, obviously with the pandemic going on as well. But ultimately, black lives matter and we have to stand together. So... Yeah, please um, support every anyone um, and people from the black community wherever you can. Um, that would be great. So let's crack on with it anyway today because I've got a couple of special guests with me on the line. I've got uh, my friends from the Regen E Racing podcast. Welcome back to Dino and welcome for the first time, Chris. Hello, good morning. It's good to be on. Hello. Good morning, good evening, <laughs> on different parts of the world, of course. Um, how are we both doing, guys? And uh, good to hear your voices. I'll let you start off, Chris. How, how's your day been? Yeah, it's, it's been great, you know. I'm uh, getting ready for bed. It's half nine over here, and we all know it's past my bedtime. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's been a odd sort of day, very unproductive, but hey-ho. I don't even know what day it is. Uh, they're all the same. <laughs> But yeah, that's good. I'm good to be good to be on. Well, to be fair, it's a different day over there than it is here. So, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is true. But um, yeah, time traveling. I've been good. I've been good. Haven't been doing too much. Um, just yeah, trying to catch up with all the news going on and um, lots coming out of Formula One, obviously as well. So yeah, it's good. It's all good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's been pretty busy the last couple of weeks with the news. So um, we'll crack into the Formula One stuff a bit later, but starting off, um, and the reason why I wanted to talk to you guys, not that, you know, I, I always love having a chat with you guys, is that we had a bit of a controversy a couple of weeks ago in the Formula E Race at Home Challenge. Now, it was actually big enough that it made mainstream news here, and that's when you know that um, all my non-racing friends start getting on to me like, what, they sacked a guy for this? Um, but... Let's talk about it because it was quite serious um, and the incident in question, most of you will be familiar. If you're not, here's a quick rundown. Daniel Apt, um, Audi um, Formula E driver, was fined initially 10,000 euros and disqualified from the Berlin virtual e and um, that was due to the fact that he actually wasn't present racing. Um, he had a stand-in, a, a professional sim racer, do it for him. And once they busted him, they cross-referenced some IP addresses to find out it wasn't actually him there. They started laying down the penalties. And then eventually what this led to was a suspension by Audi altogether. And they issued the statement saying that integrity, transparency and consistent compliance are top priorities for Audi in all activities the brand is involved in without exception. And... At the end of it, it led to both parties basically parting ways. So, um, you know, a lot of fallout has come from this, obviously. You guys, in your podcast last week, highlighted the immaturity of the act and also how it tarnishes 
the race at home challenge and also the charity aspect of it as well because they are in partnership with UNICEF and raising much needed funds for for that cause so you know while drivers and stuff on social media have been quite vocal saying that maybe the sacking is too harsh um, what's your guys what do you guys think of this do you think it's too harsh do you think it's justified is this a sort of an example that we've got to learn from going into the future that things like e-sports and virtual racing when professional drivers and teams are involved that it is more than just fun games yeah i think uh i think at the end of the day you've got to just put out there that it's for charity uh the race at home challenge is not a it's not a a thing to be a bit of fun you know it's a it is seen as more of a professional sort of um, standing from Formula E. And I think Chris summed it up pretty well. You know, what was he thinking? All of Audi's suppliers and sponsors, um, everyone that's part of the Audi brand um, is just, yeah, he's, he's brought them into disrepute basically. And no, it's, it's not too harsh. And, You've got to think, well, if if this was a real race, what would happen? Obviously, that wouldn't it wouldn't be too easy to do that in real life. But at at the same time, you know, Daniel Apt should have been professional. We've seen other drivers not particularly enjoying the race at home challenge, but just just getting on with it. Um, you know, Lucas Degrassi's teammate is at the back as well, and he's you know he is the utmost professional about it. Yeah, Chris, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I don't think it's too harsh at all. Um, I mean, the last time me and Dino spoke, uh, this was before the suspension had even happened, I believe. Yeah. Um, but everything that has happened to him is is honestly justified, in my opinion. And that I know a lot of people will disagree with what me and Dino have said, Uh you know, we've seen a lot of posts online uh, contrasting our opinion. But this is a esports series that Formula E have put a lot of effort into. Uh, and you've got all of the teams competing in it. You've got the full 2019-20 grid competing in it. And it's very much a professional thing. Uh, it's in partnership with UNICEF. It's, you know, this is a big deal. Um, and in doing what he did, Apt immediately undermined everything that Audi stands for professionally, but also the championship on a whole and the charity. And I honestly think, you know, when you're an athlete and a professional sportsman, you are constantly on this stage. And I think that's important to remember for all sports people. Mm. You're constantly in this public eye. And if you're working for a team, driving for a team, competing for a team, you will constantly be under speculation. If you have that controversy, they do have the right to break that contract. And apps totally undermined the team, the partners, everything. And the damage that that created, I mean, it was it was in national news. It was a big deal, this. It was a huge story. 
and and I mean I don't know if you've seen Abt's apology video, and it is very sincere, and I I did watch it, and I did feel sorry for the guy, uh, because it was uh, for a laugh essentially, um, but I can't understand how he failed to tell his team in the first place. It's like something didn't just X X didn't mark the spot in this one. And well, yeah, I honestly. Uh, I can't understand how you can be so stupid about it, and I think it's fully uh, deserved. Well, that's it, isn't? Was that's it, isn't it? Like maybe these guys don't understand how serious this, um, you know, the E series are. You know, all over the world, they're happening at the moment, and to such professional standard, you know, to the point where they've got their, you know, sponsor boards in the background. I don't know what's going on with the Nissan guys because I, I feel like I'm having a seizure every time I look at <laughs> um, their backgrounds. You can't even see them half the time. But when you've got, you know, the professional professionalism that they're employing no matter where they are, they've got to have the standard, which, you know, I guess this is why we're all so outraged by this because... You know, as you said, Dino, it's like, you know, what if this happened in real life? You know, but then there's those people who kind of say, well, it's not real life, it's um, virtual. But it's like, well, it's it's the same thing. They're contracted to the team and the team is partaking in this activity in this virtual space. The same rules apply. Um, it would have been different if it was a private, you know, let's say if it was a private server that they might have been streaming on their own Twitch account, you know, nothing to do with the Race at Home Challenge at all. But the fact that it was is, you know, why this is such a a severe thing. And I agree with both of you that, yeah, in the end, it was kind of justified the um, consequences that came from it. What do you do? What do you guys, though, think of the driver's reaction? You know, their peers like, you know, DaCosta, John Eric Fern, um, other drivers from other categories jumping onto Twitter and saying that they're going to quit quit Twitch as a result of this. What do you make of that? And, you know, are we kind of just like hoping that we get back to real racing sometime soon so we don't have to see this sort of stuff um, or drivers complaining about this sort of stuff anymore? Oh, I just think, well, you know, it is, it is fun and games. Um, but not the right place for it. And if they want to quit Twitch, well, that's, that's fine. You know, um, I'm sure they're all aware what, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. So, um, it's nice that they are standing with their, you know, compatriot, uh, Daniel Apt, but yeah, that's, uh, it is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah. I think if a driver wants to quit, Twitch streaming, you know, knock yourself out, go for it, it's their decision. Um, I think when they saw the action from Audi on Daniel Apt, there was this entire knee-jerk reaction in the paddock going, ugh, that could have been me. Um, mm. But like Dino said, you know, there's a time and a place for it, and doing it in a professional esports series endorsed by one of the biggest charities in the world isn't the time or place. Um, yeah, and I mean, uh, no, it's and, and these drivers, you know, they've obviously taken a stand with Daniel Apt, which is fair enough. You know, he's their mate, um, but they were the ones who kind of pushed him under the bus in the live broadcast as well. Um, yeah, Stoffel was the one who yeah. um, 
kind of exposed it, didn't he? Yeah, precisely. I mean, you know, immediately after the race, Stoffel really pushed him under the bus. And then <laughs> yeah. Jev as well did say, oh, we need to look at Daniel up because he definitely wasn't driving. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think there needs to be a, a standard, really. I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, of course. You know, I'm not uh, disagreeing with that. But if they want to quit Twitch, you know, they can quit Twitch. I mean, I won't lose any sleep about it. Um, so, yeah. But what kind of gets me um, at the end of the day, and it goes back to what you were saying before, Chris, as well, um, is that these guys, they're still getting paid their, you know, whatever amount they get paid to race the Formula E car to be doing this at home, you know, to make sure that all their sponsors are happy. So it's not like they're doing this for free. And, you know, if you're not doing anything for, if you're not doing it for free, then yeah, you've got to have that standard of professionalism as well. And then, you know, the knee-jerk reaction, as you say, and the drivers, you know, probably getting a bit too carried away with it. But at the same time, I guess this wasn't the first controversy that we saw in all the e-series that we've had while we've been all in this collective lockdown as well. We kind of pointed them out on both of our shows over the last few weeks. You guys pointed it out too last week. Um, Simon Paginel and Lando Norris, like I didn't really want to talk about this when it first happened because I'm like, really? It just seems like two kids have um, had a bit of a a spit the dummy a little bit with each other. But then the Kyle Larson um, racial slur um, in the NASCAR series, which led to him is sacking. That was, you know, yeah, you don't say that kind of stuff when you're on a live broadcast and especially with, you know, team sponsor and everything, you know, it's being broadcast over the world. Um, if it was like an, a live NASCAR race, would you expect someone to say that in, in the broadcast? No, exactly. So, and given what's going on as well at the moment in the US if that was said now then there would be even more backlash to that so you know as much as it's kind of more laid back than real racing at the same time they've just got to keep the standard up um and I think the Bubba Wallace rage quit just seems a bit funny (laughs) it's like he's had enough it's like playing Call of Duty or something he's been killed too many times and just decides to to rage quit in the middle of the game so yeah you know it i guess it was bound to happen some kind of controversy with this e esports cuz it's so new to i guess many of us probably didn't even watch esports or virtual racing before um covid-19 stopped the real stuff but it's been a learning experience for all of us i guess Yeah, I think so. I mean, it has been very much been a learning experience. I, I'd watched the F1 esports pro series uh, a little bit prior to this, but I'd never truly like got in and you know dug deep. But there was always going to be a controversy, and I think, well, you know, certainly racing from home, it could probably uh, bring in a false sense of security. You know, oh, it's a computer computer game i'm behind a screen no one can see me until you use a racial (laughs) slur rage quit crash on purpose or cause a ring up loss um you know it it does go to show that you know your actions do continue to be judged when you are racing professionally and it is so important to remember that they are racing professionally they're still under contract and they're still representing their teams 
you know, this has been a, a I don't know much about the, the NASCAR or the um, IndyCar uh, eSports series. I haven't really watched them. But with the Formula E race at home challenge, at least, a lot of effort has gone into it. You know, you, we have teams doing partner content uh, some weekends. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a big deal. They've got contracts to fulfill, rights to withhold. And as soon as clowns, some clowns essentially start to do some stuff like this, um, yeah. It's. I mean, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Uh, there was always going to be some backlash, and um, there's a large variety of backlash as well. Very different contexts on all of them. Exactly, and I think you know because we've got all this time on our hands. I think people kind of just you know can take whatever they want from it. And there was one thing that kind of caught my eye um, from this, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I believe in it, but. You know, as with anything, you might have a, a conspiracy theory floating around as well. So, on Twitter, there was um, Porsche, well-known Porsche GT driver Lawrence Vantor, who since then deleted this tweet and basically suggested that Audi use this as a perfect excuse to move Abt on for for the next season. Because you know, am I not wrong, Chris, in thinking that? Um, apt seat for the season seven next year was one up in the air um, and that this might have possibly been used as an excuse to to vacate that seat and possibly bring in a new driver for for 2120 um, for 2021 yeah so I mean Daniel apt has been on a 12 month rolling contract since the end of season three season four I believe Um and, you know, even for the current Formula E season, there was doubt that he would be driving that Audi car. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of doubt. Um, there was talk that Nico Muller was going to get it. He was obviously um, very well known in the DTM series, yep. uh, driving for Audi. And looking at Abt's performances, I believe he'd had one points finish this season. Um, I think it was slim, really, that Abt would have kept his seat. Um, you know, he'd had his time. Um, he certainly wasn't performing to the same level of Degrassi mm. and in comparison to the rest of the field you know, he did look a little bit out of his depth I would liken it to Nico Prost very talented driver in the first three seasons then all of a sudden when the series starts to heat up and get a bit more competitive they kind of crack and buckle and um, blunder everything um, so yeah, I mean Apt wouldn't. I don't think he would have had his seat anyway for next season. But I, I, I don't think it's a excuse for Audi to get rid of him. Uh, really, uh, he would have lost the seat anyway. I think um, this is a kind of a case of I'm going to liken it to a minefield here, and the <laughs> minefield is German and it's got Audi branding all over it. And Daniel Apt has been put into said minefield. And this is going somewhere, don't worry. I hope so. And (laughs) they've kind of gone playing there. And he stood on the mine himself. And that's led to him going. Uh, So it was was what was going to happen, wasn't it? Um, Yeah. The Race of Home Challenge was the mine. And Daniel Apt is unemployed. There you go, then. Yeah, race at home was the mine. Uh, the pretty good. And 
just quickly to, to round this one off, so obviously you said Nico Muller's name before, and he's currently with the Dragon team, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. Am I? Yeah. Um, apart from him, any other names do you reckon would be floating around too? Because obviously now that seat is vacant, and it's a, it's a you could say it's a prized seat on that grid because it's with a manufacturer team, and Audi no doubt will be wanting to go after a Constructors' Championship with two really good drivers. So they tested um, young Calvin Vanderlind at the young driver test that they had earlier this year, you reckon he's in with a chance for the seat? He's really good in the Audi GT car. I've seen him race at Bathurst a couple of times in the 12-hour. Rene Rast as well, another factory Audi driver. He's he's you know he's got a bit of age on him, 33, but he's raced a Formula E car, I think, in the past as well. So who do we think might be in contention for that seat? I would love to see either. Firstly, uh, because of his experience in Formula E, Robin Freins, and I think he's yep. an Audi, Audi driver as well. GT driver, yeah. yeah. He's he won actually at the Bathurst Twelve Hour a couple of years ago in a Audi, so yep. that'd be a good option. Um, and of course, the uh, Virgin cars have Audi under the bonnet, so um, it's it could be uh, the other one. Just throwing this out there, <coughs> Oliver Turvey. Ooh. Anything to get him out of a Neo, I, mean, I think. <laughs> he, he's solid. Um, and, I mean, what Audi needs at the moment is just a, a bit of, you know, you don't want someone who's complacent and, and you know, shows up one race and, and then nowhere the next. You need a solid driver and to just be able to get them back on track. And Oliver Turvey, we haven't seen what he can do because he's never had the car. And so I reckon this is no. the ideal time to get him in. Chris, what do you reckon? I love that Turvey idea. I think it'd be great. Um, it, I mean, yeah, let's talk about <coughs> Oliver Turvey. Because Oliver Turvey is a massive talent. And the things that he's done for Neo are truly incredible. You know, he's it's like his little uh, project, is Neo. Uh he got the podium for them. He's got a pull for them, but he hasn't really had that chance, has he? He hasn't had a chance with a big team, and this could be that big break that he needs. Um, but Audi do definitely need a solid driver in that second car. Um, I think Robin Freins could be a good fit in there. Uh, and Rene, Rene Rast as well. I've heard the name mentioned uh, in Formula E. Uh, around that second Audi seat, and I think he's understood to be an option. Mm. But it would essentially be... He's not a single-seater driver, that's the thing. Yeah, and yeah. And if he did go in Formula E, I think they would... You know, if they were going to butter him up for that seat, they might put him in a different car, like they did with Nico Muller. And, I mean, a lot of people know that I'm a Nico Muller fanboy. I think yeah. he's very talented. <laughs> And I would love to see Nico Muller in that car. Um, it just depends on if he's really proved what he can do in that Dragon, which is like Oliver Turvey in that Neo. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think it's don't think it's as bad as the Neo, let's say. But it's been good to see Turvey doing um, pretty well in the Race at Home Challenge. Actually, you know, I'm sure there's been a collective. Um, 
sigh of relief that even you know the neo car in the the race at home challenge isn't as uncompetitive as it is in in real life so the same can't be said by ma Qinghua, unfortunately but anyway we'll, we'll leave that um thank you for for being able to talk about this um topic i know it's been a bit of a touchy one with some people but you know obviously it's happened there's been consequences and the moral of the story is don't do it you know some people basically have just said at the end don't cheat that's what they liken it to so let's move it on now and some new motorsport categories let's talk about or a category in in particular and this is what you introduced me to dino i kind of had a bit of an idea about it beforehand, but then I did a bit more reading on it during the week. Extreme E, so an all-new electric series featuring featuring SUVs, dubbed as an electric Dakar. So, you know, if you're all familiar with the Dakar Rally, this is basically an electric version of it. Um, Plans is, obviously, it's going to be a championship, and they're going to be racing in places that are affected by climate change to raise awareness about it. And you've got all the familiar Formula E names team-wise. You've got Venturi, you've got Abt, Veloce, and HWA, obviously, who are associated with Mercedes, and then some American names like Andretti and Chip Ganassi Racing as well. So I had a look at the drivers that are interested in racing as well, and it's just bustling with talent. You know, I can read a couple of out for you as well, just to show you how excited we are for this. And, you know, seeing some Formula E regulars like Lucas Degrassi, Andre Lotterer, um, I think Oliver Turvey was on that list as well, but then races like names like Billy Monger as well got me really exciting because it'd be great to see him um, doing some racing as well. De Costa's there, uh, yeah, Lotterer, Bruno Senna, Catherine Legg as well, and yeah, just the list goes on. So, come on, Dino, tell us a bit more about you know uh, <laughs> Extreme E because apparently it's been likened to pod racing for some reason. Pod racing. I mean, the the Tatooine. I think it's Tatooine that they were racing around. Yep. Um, maybe the backdrop might look similar um, from you know Dakar, but uh, I think that's as as far as it goes. Um, they still have wheels, so we've probably still got a wee way to go in that. But um, yeah, it is. Um, and and we start at the Dakar Rally on the 23rd 24th of january 2021 and we move through to saudi arabia in march and may nepal which should be interesting uh, greenland in august and then in october brazil so what they're trying to do is have different sort of um, legs um, with different i guess um, affected areas um, that are heavily affected by climate change and so you've got a, a sort of forest in Brazil, uh, Nepal with some snow and ice, um, and then obviously desert stages with Senegal and Saudi Arabia. So it should be quite interesting in that respect. Um, one of the main drivers that I was looking at, Sebastian Ogier, six-time consecutive yep. WRC champion, uh, 2013 to 2018, um, you know, and, and rightly so, uh, that picture is right at the start if you look up the drivers tab on the website. Um, it's exciting, it's exciting. The, it is a little bit of a different 
um, what would I call it? It's a, a different layout of the championship in, in different stages. So normal rallies, they have stages, um, and it's the best time, and etc, etc. With this, so the race format, we're looking with two separate sort of uh, qualifying. Um, so the qualifying is head-to-head, and six drivers will go through to the semi-final and then there's something called the crazy race which i've got no idea what the crazy race is so <laughs> crazy yep, race qualifying is timed uh get in the first six you go straight through to the semi-finals and then seven to twelve uh, you go through to something called the crazy race i'm sure we'll get uh, a little bit more information about that and then from the semi-finals um, obviously through to the final and I think that's three versus three um, so two days of racing one full battery charge per day for each team so you can't use it all and uh, go hell for leather and then you got nothing uh, nothing at the end of it um, each team races twice on Saturday and qualifying one qualifying two semi-final one semi-final two uh, the crazy race and final on the Sunday each race is two laps, one lap driven by a female driver and one lap driven by a male driver. So this this was released a wee while ago uh, that they would be mixed gender teams. Um, and all results are based on race finishing position, not time. So, um, it, yeah, have a look on the website um, for a bit more of information about that. Um, each driver, this is sort of a level playing field about um, about the series. So each driver will complete one lap behind the wheel with a changeover. So if you're missing changeovers or driver swaps from Formula E, then Extreme E has you covered. And <laughs> the teams will just will determine which driver goes first to best suit the strategy. And um, yeah, it uh, the driver selections are made confidential confidentially there we go that's a big word uh, with competitors kept in the dark as other teams choices until the cars reach the start line which is quite cool so you don't know who's up first or who you're against um just to you know make sure that if Ogier's against john eric verne he could be against someone completely different um so there's no sort of yeah there's no playing off against each other in the strategy so basically just all an element of mystery i guess and basically racing like a survival race you know as you said to conserve your battery because you only get one for the whole day or for the whole stage so sounds pretty rugged and rough i gotta say but exciting at the same time Uh, and there's a few natural challenges just to you know throw that into the mix hazards to navigate extreme gradients we like a good gradient and a good tip. Uh, jumps, banks, <laughs> berms, pits, dunes, and water splashes. That sounds a bit tame, but I'm sure it's a bit more than water splashes. I'm sure it's a little. That bit sounds more. like something. It sounds like something Bernie Eccleston would do. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. So sprinklers and other things on the course, obviously. Um, yeah, probably more like natural rivers and things. So yeah, uh, that's yep. that's a quick overview of the series. Um, 
and I think I was wrong on the the race format qualifying. I don't think it is timed. I think it is positions. So sorry about that. All right. That's okay. Something new to learn, I'm sure. But just quickly, there we're not going to be racing in the Serengeti, are we? By any chance? Oh, I would love, and we go green in the Serengeti. It still gets me. It still gets me. <laughs> I've got to. I've got to say, yesterday at the train station, there was a little ad for a, a rainforest or a national park um, in the Serengeti, and all I could hear while watching it was Chris's <laughs> voice saying, "And we go green in the Serengeti." I just, oh, I don't know. It's been in my mind all, all ever since I heard that podcast so yeah it's basically just going to be ingrained in our memories forever that one so if you're if you're listening jack nichols please you know you've got to got to get on that it's the best thing we've done no no not at all not at all but it definitely goes down as a highlight you know top if you do a if you do a season review at the end of this year you know top five moments i think that'll definitely be up there so no no extreme e really sounds exciting and the fact that they're going to start it off at dakar as well and dakar already gets enough um, publicity and attention for, for the event that that is. I always keep an eye on it, you know, to see how Toby Price is doing on the bikes. Um, obviously, a two-time winner there. Carlos Sainz Sr. still racing and winning at Dakar as well was quite amazing. And now just adding another um, component to it with Extreme E as well. I think, yeah, Alejandro Agaga's kind of... Um, let's say, done a good job again, getting an another electric category up and running. Yeah, he has done a good job. I mean, um, Agag's one of those guys who, he never does anything uh, half-hearted. If he's going to do something, he's going to do it right. And, um, I mean, the the current uh, look of Extreme E when it does debut is super exciting. I mean, we've got some big name drivers in there, you know, Sebastian Ogier, Daniel Apt, um, and Co. And it, it it's very exciting, and you know the 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 race format, the mystery, the locations, it is very good, and it's all for a good reason as well. It's continuing to race for a purpose, and arguably, um, even even more so, because. By racing in these environments, we're really going to see the damage that climate change has uh, done and the continued environmental impact. Um, And yeah, I think it'll be a very meaningful uh, race series. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think that's the underlying motive for this is to broadcast or showcase to the world the impact of climate change on these, you know, certain ecosystems and um, areas that often we don't see or hear about but it is happening so again you know with that positive message um, Agag and his team have have done a pretty good job on that so hopefully it does it starts off well I hope um, it's not going to be 
impacted too much by the global pandemic at the moment. I know 2021 does seem like a long time away, but we're already halfway through 2020. So hopefully their planning hasn't been too affected by this and we do get to see them um, in their first race at Dakar. All right, well, let's move it on. Formula One, there's been a lot of news in the last two weeks alone, basically ever since we had the announcement um, that Sebastian Vettel was leaving Ferrari and Carlos Sainz would come in and replace him, Daniel Ricciardo to McLaren, no news on the driver front, but we have had quite a few regulation changes confirmed as well um, for the future and also first eight races for 2020 confirmed as well, so we'll get straight into that then. Um, basically everyone would be aware, unless you've been living under a rock all this time, that Formula One will be introducing a performance budget cap from 2021. Those plans haven't changed, even though the proposed 2021 aero regulations have been delayed a year to 22, but now the budget cap has actually been reduced from once 175 million US to 145 million and that is actually going to go down in the years to come as well once they start getting into the swing of things. So um, one thing that the sports governing body, um, Formula One Management and the FIA have kind of clamped down on is ATPs, aero testing periods, which you know is basically the allowance given to each team to to conduct wind tunnel testing and all that. Um, that's going to be severely reduced compared to where it is at at the moment, given how expensive it actually is. And then some teams actually don't even get to do wind tunnel testing because they a don't have a wind tunnel and b can't afford it. So there's going to be a handicap style system, and I hate using the term handicap in motorsport or in with this in Formula 1 purely because whenever someone thinks of handicap it's always derogatory but I think the way F1 has done this is actually really smart and doesn't seem like they're tying one hand behind your back like they do in sports car racing and GT racing with balanced performance so this is going to be a system based on the constructors championship standings from the previous season so Whoever finishes first in the championship this year, let's say Mercedes, maybe it will be Mercedes, they'll only get 90% of their base um, aero runs in the wind tunnel. That, uh, so the base number will be 40 runs per year. So Mercedes, if they finish P1, will only get 90% of that number, which equates to 36, whilst whoever's 10th in the championship or if there's a new team that comes in for next year, so let's say P10, it's going to be Williams, let's let's all admit. <laughs> um, they'll, they'll get 112.5% of that, which will be 45 uh, runs per year. And basically, for 2021, it'll be, I think, 2.5% increments that that number will change going through the, the order of the Constructors' Championship. And then 2022, it will change to 5% plus or minus for each team. And whoever's P1 in 2021 will only get 70% of the base runs, while 115% for P10. So a lot to swallow, I know. But how do you guys, um, you know, what do you guys think of this system compared to let's say other handicap systems in the world in motorsport do you think this is going to even out the playing field i know it's not going to happen instantaneously but formula one obviously has the long-term um 
vision for this that you know it's going to compress the field so some thoughts on that I'm not sure it will compress the field I mean um, the I I would like to say that you know Mercedes is number one for a reason and they're just super slick in everything that they do it seems you know um, as a race team they're just yeah they just make things work and, and less mistakes and I feel I still feel like 70% um, of these a- ATP runs I still feel like they'll be able to do more with it than Williams getting 115% so be interesting to see and I always say that be interesting to see um, if it will actually close up the field you know um, also does Williams have the budget for all those runs you know it's going to be yeah um, I know you're a bit more on the pulse with this Chris and you might have a little bit different thoughts to me on on you know this vision but yeah I I, I don't think it will to be fair yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I think we can all agree that the budget cap is very good. Um, and it's nice to hear that it will continue to go down as well. Um, you know, you've got teams such as Mercedes operating on $400 million a year, while Williams are running on $130 um, million, not £130. Pounds, £130 million. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's not that bad, is it? It's not that bad. Surprise! <laughs> Oh, News no. for you. Um, anyway, uh, so I think, I think that's a good a good move. Uh, it does hopefully level a playing field, and I think the um, the ATP uh, reduction based on championship position, I would say it is a good move. I think compared to other um, systems that are similar to this in motorsport, such as balance of performance, like you said in sports cars. I think this is um, fairer. I think if you build a good car, you shouldn't be punished for it. You, you shouldn't have your perform- performance reduced so it's a more mm. level playing field. I think you know that's wrong. You should be rewarded for your efforts. Um, but with this, it could, and I express could very strongly, uh, it could level the playing field. But like Dino said, the difference, so let's say Mercedes finish first and get 36 of the base 40 runs, I do think they would achieve more than the team that is in last place with the 45. Uh, Because in theory, they have less work to do. In theory. Mm. They already had a good season last year. They're already the team to beat going into the new season. But for a team such as Williams, who are will be at the back of the grid and are struggling financially in the 45 runs that they could well would do let's face it uh, would do um, could they really close the gap Uh, would that really benefit them it would benefit them uh, for sure it's more testing time and you know we, we know from 2019 how important testing is for Williams and yeah, um, and, and that's a good move in my opinion. But will it close the playing field? I don't necessarily think so. Um, but I think it's a good idea uh, nonetheless. And then there's also the whole financial aspect as well. You know, Williams are in a very bad position at the moment. And could they really afford 
um, that wind tunnel testing period? Probably not. For a midfield team such as McLaren or Racing Point, though, yeah, I could see that. Uh, but the the further you go down the grid, despite them being served up this theoretical advantage, practically it might not work for that reason. Does it then come down to, and going back to what Chris was saying about Mercedes just being the best in everything they do, it's it's very true, and I've said this all along the last few years, that the reason Ferrari can't win a championship is because they're not well-oiled enough. Um, is the people that you have on your team, you know, we're talking about engineers, we're talking about management as well, let's say, obviously, as a result of the cap coming in, you're going to have to offload um, staff as well, which we've seen, unfortunately, at Renault and McLaren. Um, they've ended up having to, uh, you know, made re- make redundant quite a bit of staff. And then, of course, the situation at Williams as well, they're looking to even sell the team or a partial sell, you know, which I'm sure um, once upon a time, Sir Frank Williams would have shuddered at the thought of that. <laughs> because they've been offered many times um, or the thought has come in and they've declined it. But how you go about hiring staff now. So let's say Williams, um, let's say someone bails them out, they get a little bit of money in the in the pocket. What if they end up with a crack engineer? You know, let's say, hypothetically speaking, they end up with a James Allison or something. And even with you know, the limited funds and also with those 45 runs, let's say, that they have, could someone, uh, engineering mind like James Allison, get Williams, you know, turn them around, not to like a championship winning team, but like get them out of the hole they're in with those 45 runs? Because the way I see it is that the best teams, even with reduced running, they still have the best engineers and everything and they're still going to maximise the the runs that they have like for me that's innovation is that here's the tools we're going to give you you do so do you do something with those and you know the cream always rises to the top so maybe it's all about how Williams go about restructuring their team um, who they have on that team that could make the impact like do you reckon that could be a factor in all this as well it's such fine margins isn't it you know if if um I mean, Williams, they they are a good oiled machine. Um, you know, their pit stop times, um, yeah, some of the calls are a bit dubious, but, you know, they're always at the back. So um, if they don't really have the the chance or, or the experience <coughs> lately of, of making those race-winning decisions like Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull do. Um, but, yeah, I I do hope that they survive. You know, it's sort of everyone's second team. You know, I'm a I'm a McLaren fan, just putting it out there, and sort of Williams is my second team. <laughs> I love Bottas though, um, so uh, I do hope Mercedes continues. But um, yeah, um, McLaren, Renault, they're let go of staff. They're just getting in early, aren't they? Really, it's it's as a sign of the mm. times, and you will see that from the other teams also. It's just. It is just the way it's going to go with the performance cap and, and with that decreasing. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's unfortunate. 
Exactly. So, um, and even though we're not going to have the big rule change or regulation change for next year, there's going to be some adjustments to obviously cater for Pirelli so they don't end up having to build a whole new compound of tyres to accommodate big changes. So they're just going to, I think, you know, clip the floor, the rear of the floor on both sides of the car to basically nerf the performance to keep them to what they are performing at this year. But they'll be allowed to do on the cars minor developments like wings and side pods and stuff like that. So there'll be a freeze on any major development and power units, I think, are going to be frozen as well. So they're not spending ridiculous amounts of money to to develop them forward so which could be i don't know would that be a hindrance for someone like a renault who is playing catch up and you know given honda the performance and the progress that they're making could this mean that they're kind of caught in a holding pattern as well i'll let you go with this one chris fantastic um that's a good question um i think um it's interesting i mean we have got this um you know slightly revised floor um thing for next year i think it's supposedly going to equate to like a half a second a lap loss then there's also that freeze on the developments um as you said and yeah i think i think yeah it's an extra year on the current set of regulations really with very minimal evolution um and that will impact some teams. You know, if a team doesn't have the right package now, they will inevitably suffer uh, in the future. And Williams, for instance, that car is awful. Um, it's absolutely horrible. I don't even think it's... I don't know if it's changed much over the years, but Paddy Lowe didn't do anything. And no. then <laughs> the current Renault package as well. It's barely been evolved since 2017, and I think that really began to manifest uh, last season. You know, mm. whether we're going to say, "Oh, we're going to we're going to get fourth, we're going to push towards third, and ended up fifth, um, and a long way off the place, off the off the pace, and losing their um, star driver to McLaren this year, beaten by the customer team." Um, but yeah, definitely, I think it will just equate to a freeze, really. Um, as you said and yeah um th- that freeze will it i think it'll just mean that we see a very similar pecking order to um formula one as it will be when it does resume uh, um you know minor minor tweaks and changes but whatever a team does have now will be that package um but obviously i mean just to talk on a change that's uh, related to this um we have mclaren next year going to mercedes engines and one of their big challenges will be <coughs> sticking that mercedes power unit in a car that's built for a renault engine <laughs> um mm. which will be very interesting uh, to see um yeah I, I can't wait to see how teams do deal with this because it'll be a it'll be a very interesting situation um for sure i think we're gonna see more of this anyway um wherever in global motorsport that you know next year is kind of like a holding year for whatever you've developed um in in 2020 because i know for sure the supercars championship here they're going to be running basically the same cars that they have this year because uh 
after well this year was supposed to be the last year that they run the Holden Commodore chassis so as a result next year they're going to be able to run them again but without Holden branding because that brand no longer exists but yeah I guess does that mean Mercedes win the next two years (laughs) guaranteed (laughs) who knows Um, I'm sure a lot of people will hope not but you know um, see what uh, if Red Bull Ferrari come up with anything in this time to to the silver bullet if it is but to end on this topic I guess regardless of the pandemic because I feel like the pandemic's kind of accelerated things with the the budget cap and also um, having a sliding scale and and all that sort of jazz this is the direction F1 should have gone in for the beginning just to secure its own future because I don't think we can live in a world anymore with motorsport or like we can't live in a motorsport world anymore where there's unlimited spending and you know write a blank check and basically go out like we saw you know years ago they banned all the unlimited testing that people had you know Ferrari would just go into their backyard or to Fiorano every odd other weekend and basically do a whole heap of testing and that's why you know they had a leg up on everyone all the time but now I guess, yeah, we can't go on spending unlimited amounts of money. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that regardless of the pandemic, this is the direction F1 should have gone in. Uh, We've seen over the past 10 years, teams join Formula One and leave Formula One because they've gone into bankruptcy and gone into administration. It It is that financially unaffordable. Um, and I think in a time like this, uh, and well, even without the present situation, it should be financially affordable because Formula One has become so expensive over recent seasons. Since 2014, for instance, with these hybrid power units, the expense is extraordinary. And I'm not hmm. surprised teams didn't, uh, but Marussia, um, specifically, Oh, Manor, whatever they were called. Um, Virgin. Um, well, they start, yeah, they? once upon a time. <laughs> yes, that team. Um, the red and black one with a bit of white. Um, I'm not surprised they didn't really survive that first uh, season. And it did, well, they did. Yeah, just it didn't survive the long term. Mm. Um, I thought they were scrapped in 2014, but they had to last until 2016, didn't they? Yeah. Um, well, they took a year off, I think, or they used yeah, a um, they used the equivalent of a f- car. yeah, yeah. So they did make it to 2016, and actually had a Mercedes engine too. Yes, they and did. Um, I was you know so excited because Pascal Verline made his debut with those guys. But anyway, go on, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, and I mean with this budget cap now. It should, Touchwood hopefully, should encourage other teams to join Formula One. I hope, because at the moment we have a twenty-car grid, and you know, some certain teams are also struggling financially. There might be more dropouts at the rate we're going at, and with this fresh budget cap, I think teams will have the chance to, instead of hemorrhaging money like Renault have been, Mm. they have this chance to run a Formula 1 team like a business. And I think that's a wonderful opportunity. 
it's a chance for people, for teams and prospective uh, outfits to go, actually, this is something we can commit to. And instead of teams leaving, more could commit. And it'll also increase the appeal for manufacturers as well. You know, we've seen, just to go back to Formula E, uh, Formula E is a championship, has more uh, manufacturers and factory teams on the grid than any other form of motorsport. Any other form. You've got the big German four in there, got Jaguar in there, um, Mahindra, who are massive in India, um, and the sorts. And this is really a fresh chance for Formula One to um, get out of the doldrums, but also a chance to really embrace a bright future. And it all starts from here. Uh, with this budget cap, it really could uh, may do wonders, uh, really. And it is such an exciting opportunity for the sport. And absolutely, uh, this should have been done years ago. It should have been done years ago. Um, yeah, but better late than never, never, I suppose, right? Exactly. Dino, you got anything to add to that? No, that's pretty well, that's pretty well summed up. Yeah, um, yeah, we, yeah, we don't want, you know, the likes of Haas, um, etc., Williams to, to be thinking about leaving. You know, we want a consistent amount of cars on the grid and, yeah, it'd be good to, good to get some new brands and manufacturers in there always it would be exciting and yeah at worst you basically as a business as chris was saying at worst you just want to be able to break even for the season um financially and then obviously um profit as a result of that but quite a bit still needs to be done behind the scenes i guess renegotiating um or when the concord agreement is up i think this year or something renegotiating how prize money and all that is distributed as well so i still think yeah it I knew when Liberty Media took over Formula One that it was going to take years to completely um, break out of the shackles that had been put on by the previous commercial rights holders, um, CVC and Bernie Eccleston, basically. So, you know, still quite a few of those draconian rules um, ruling F1. And an interesting one that I didn't even know about uh, was that back... I think it was in the late 80s or early 90s that Bernie basically brought in a rule that said each car, each team has got to have two cars and they've got to have the same livery as well, you know, and that's that's been a rule that's been embedded in the sport. So there's no possibility for like a one-car team or let's run different liveries on um, or consistent... It's got to be a consistent sponsor on both cars, like let's have one sponsor on one car, one sponsor on another car, stuff like that. So who knows? It's it's all things for the future, as we say. Um, and to round it out, and we had the news come in early this week about the first eight races being revealed for 2020. So just reading off the, the list in summary, we got two races back-to-back in Austria, then we go over to Hungary, then Silverstone for back-to-back races as well, and they're going to do the 70th anniversary celebrations for F1 there at the second race in Silverstone, August 7 to 9. And I think that's really, um, really apt as well that, you know, we're going back to the home of Formula One where it all began back in 1950. Then after our two Silverstone races, we go to Barcelona, to Spain, Belgium, and then Italy at the start of September. So, you know, the five things that they're going to be doing 
while on track, you know, obviously they're going to be closed events, no fans will be allowed at the moment, but there's going to be ongoing testing, you know, frequent testing in the paddock as well for the virus, minimum amount of people on track too, so traveling with very little staff and also traveling, you know, isolated travel too, so traveling traveling in a bubble, making sure that there's no outside contact as well, and then, of course, enforcing the physical and social distancing rules in the paddock and on the track too so that means i think they're going to change up they've said that they're going to change up the podium ceremony as well to to incorporate that but contractually eight races are required to have a valid f1 world championship is this the insurance policy that in case there is a further breakout um outside of Europe and F1 can't travel to to the other countries they want to is this you know where we let's get all these races in Europe done and over with so we have some kind of championship to to call 2020 yeah that's great you know it it would be good to be able to have a, a valid F1 world championship like you say and if you can't go to China Japan etc then yeah they've got a They've got to make sure that they get it in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's this insurance policy, isn't it? Uh, Austria, Hungary, Silverstone, Spain, Belgium, Italy. Um, You know, it is the eight races that are required, and it's definitely the right approach. It'll be nice to get the racing underway as well, and... Formula One being Formula One, I'm sure they'll have learned learned a lot from uh, Australia, and they'll have uh, the correct protocols in place now. And yeah. running with the skeleton crews behind closed doors, um, you know, isolated travel, uh, it it is a good move. And you know, even even if the season was European, let's say, there are other tracks uh, in Europe that could work. Uh, we've got the Algarve circuit in Portugal um, that could could uh, be an option to add another race if the great circuit, great circuit, yeah, yeah, if the uh, Asian or American or um, Middle Eastern races didn't go ahead. There's horrible rumours that Sochi might. Oh no, no! <laughs> um, Poor Ricard, which is. Tragic. Sochi snoo- the Sochi Snooze Fest, I think you can call that one. <laughs> See, the sad thing is, right? Sochi's a horrible track. And it, well, it's a, it's a, it's it's crap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let, let's face it. But the thing is, you no one visits it anyway. Um, no one goes to the race. It's in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. But you also have the Olympic Park and the Olympic Village there, so it's perfect for um, staying isolated. <laughs> there you go. So I think you might have. Um, you might have hit the nail on the head with that one actually so as you say olympic park there so you'll you'll all stay isolated but you know what if they just do one race there i think i'll be i'll be satisfied with that i couldn't handle two (laughs) um but speaking of that there's been a lot of talk about um formats and stuff like that and i think this one's kind of dead and buried anyway now but we'll still talk about it the fact that they considered a reverse championship order qualifying race especially for those double header weekends so austria and silverstone we would have seen on the second weekend at those respective circuits that they would have had this 30 minute um 
reverse championship order qualifying race. So, yeah, it's dead and buried because I think it was Mercedes, Toto Wolf who wasn't um, agreeing with it and they all have to be unanimous with their vote. So, you know, if, if say, it was going to happen, guys, would you be fans of it? Would you just say it's a gimmick that they should avoid? <laughs> what do you think? Ooh, um, I I like the idea of it, but uh, I mean, if it's going to be a short sort of uh, super season where you've got eight races, ten races, and um, if they can make it work with points and bits and pieces, or you know, just qualifying, I'm I'm open to new things, but really, um, I don't think it's going to be one that you know gets through the door, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's an idea, and I think if bearing in mind what we've gone through in twenty twenty, um, it's an opportunity to test it really, if anything. Um, but when I first heard of this, one of my main concerns was uh, the event of an accident. Um, mm. We do see accidents in qualifying, but if there's an accident in a um, a reverse grid qualifying race it leaves teams with a potentially massive rebuild ahead of Sunday's main event um, and it does increase cost for that reason you would need some more spare parts and that was one of my yeah. main uh, concerns around it but yeah at the end of the day it's it was an option to test it if anything mm. and, uh, I'm I'm not against testing new things in Formula One. I think you know as a championship, it should look to the future and go. Oh, actually, what if we did this and be open to change? Um, but yeah, I understand why teams have gone against the the, the idea of this, um, and it does make sense from that perspective. Yep, and yeah, I do agree with you, Chris, on that. Um, for rebuilds, if there are crashes, and given the tight turnaround as well, that we have between these events and you know the travel and everything too i think it would be a bit difficult but yeah they should take this opportunity to try a few new things so let's um let's wrap things up and quickly before that chris we know formula one we know when it's coming back july um 5th any mail on um how or when we might see formula one restarting oh sorry formula e restarting um anything anything on that um i mean formula e at the moment is still in the, in its suspension period i think uh, june and july are red flagged months um so basically formula e are operating this uh, flag system that's entirely coherent with the racing flags as well yellow means ooh caution um we could go racing here but we might not red means hold on stop we're not doing anything and green means let's do it and we're currently under a red flag period for june and july uh, but i believe the consensus is that they might go racing in august uh, which is exciting um and ideally they want to get the championship wrapped up by september so they can start preparing for season seven with battery tender and all of this and all of that um Again, these races would most likely be, well, they would be behind closed doors. And Berlin Tempelhof Circuit has been mentioned. Uh, it's done the rounds on the news beat. 
um, that the championship might look towards hosting a series of doubleheader events there uh, for three weekends. Uh, so that would be six races potentially. And the, the best thing is with Berlin Tempelhof Circuit, it's entirely isolated from the city. It's still in the city centre, but it's on an old, disused air, airport, air, airport apron, yeah. uh, which is fantastic. And you have this massive open space, and it also provides the chance to change track layouts. Um, so it wouldn't be the same thing on repeat. And it would essentially become the home of Formula E uh, for that period. And I think that's the most likely thing we'll see with Formula E at the moment. Um, so skeleton crews in Berlin um, for three weekends doing battle and then sealing the uh, championship. I wouldn't like to name the races though. You like Berlin one, Berlin two, Berlin three. It'd <laughs> be very confusing. Or just so like, like jumble up the scenario. Jumble up the title so you have the Berlin E Prix and then you have the E Prix of Berlin or you know the Tempelhof. <laughs> something rather but yeah the no given west that germany yeah the race of west <laughs> i'm joking it is in the west of germany. Oh, okay <laughs> yeah yeah it is in there the you west go mate well, there is a bit of a sense in that but yeah given that we're halfway through or we've actually started that championship and you know there's points on the board and everything we'd really like to see it concluded and everything as well and to have a, a champion as a result of it so yeah, well, that pretty much wraps it up then. Um, and before we leave, you know, where can we find you guys? Plug your socials as we do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Twitter, at Regen Racing, and that's where I'm probably, I am in charge of the, the Twitters. Uh, so yeah, hit us up there. I'm on there a lot. Uh, Instagram and Facebook at Regen E Racing Pod and the website www.regenracingpodcast.com. And we have a, a very snazzy website um, where you can listen to the most recent episode. And we're found on everything, podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, of course, just all over the place. If we're not, hit us up. Yeah, you going after world domination there, Dino. Uh, <laughs> so we'll let you know if... Um, if there's a pocket that you haven't uh, exploited yet and um chris any any socials you'd like to plug mate or um you can follow my personal channels uh by typing in at chris underscore Selsby on twitter um what's it called instagram and my facebook page which is in total disrepair but you can like it if you want is <laughs> at, at chris Selsby journalist um okay there you go one for all the botters to get behind, I think. And yeah, if you um, want to follow Chris's... <laughs> yes, please. Yes. That's, on, usually, that, that, that's usually what happens when you don't run a page for however long and then you suddenly you've got all these bots behind it. But also, um, Motorsport Week, that's the website we can find your work on as well, Chris, yeah. crucially. Yeah. So... Give those guys a look, and um, when we get more news for Formula E, Chris will be all over it. But thank you very much, guys, for coming on and joining me. We had great fun. Bit of a long podcast this week, but I think we had some pretty good topics to talk about. So thank you very much. Thank you for including us. It was, yeah, awesome as always, Jawad. 
Excellent. All right. Well, that wraps things up. So thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend, and um, we'll see you guys next time.